listening to the Best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Good Sunday, Austin. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM and 96.3 FM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. The TSA was created shortly after 9-11 as a response to the attacks and a way to keep the traveling public safe. And 12 years and countless stories later, stories about the harassment and assaults and misuse of authority, we can't help but wonder if this is just another example, the TSA, of the federal government's knee-jerk reaction of pouring money on a supposed problem to keep the public quiet. Our guest today is Becky Akers, who has not only reported in great length on the TSA's incompetence, but is an advocate for individual liberty. She's written for multiple publications, including Forbes, Washington Post, New York Post, and uh, the American History Magazine. She recently published her novel, Hailstorm, set during the American Revolution War about the spy and anarchist Nathan Hill. Becky, before we talk about your book, I wanted to ask you about some of the things you've discovered uh, regarding the TSA in your research. Uh, Do you think we're really any safer today than we were 12 years ago? (laughs) Well, actually, Teresa, the TSA positively endangers us. And uh, that's something that I wish every American could hear and understand. There are so many deluded travelers who still consider the TSA to be their only defense against terrorists. And they think the TSA is the only thing that keeps their plane from falling out of the sky, In actuality, the TSA dramatically increases the danger of aviation. So let's talk about, um, number one, is there really a danger in in traveling? Are there really terrorists, boogeymans out there uh, trying to hurt the travelers? No. Now, here's an interesting thing. The State Department publishes a report every year. Uh, I'm not going to get the title correct without having it in front of me, but it's something along the lines of uh, County Reports of Terrorism uh, Nation by Nation or something. What it does is it goes through and attempts to compile a census of how many terrorists there are worldwide. Now, since these guys are usually living in caves and they don't surface to fill out forms, this is just pretty much guesswork and estimate. Uh, I've looked at the report for a couple of years running. It doesn't change that much year to year. Uh, It's also pretty much, as I said, guesses and estimates uh, with different countries reporting, well, we think there might be 30 terrorists in the SLN group and this, that, and the other. The interesting thing about all this is that when I take those estimates, and I am very generous with them, if they say we estimate 500 to 1,000, I round it up to the thousand. If it's a couple thousand, I make it five thousand. If it's a uh, a dozen or something like that, I, I'll round it up again to twenty, so it's easier to add. When I get all done with my very generous assessment, 
I come up with 180,000 terrorists worldwide, which sounds like an awful lot until you realize that about 95% of them are only active within their own countries. They're just trying to change their own governments. Uh, also, the definition of terrorist might be a bit expansive there. Basically, governments call anyone a terrorist who disagrees with them and is angry enough about their exploitation to take arms against the government. So when we get right down to it, there are almost no terrorists trying to kill Americans. Uh, in fact, what we do have, however, is a bunch of blue-shirted terrorists at the airports who have Americans cowering in fear. Okay. So why, why are you uh, an expert on this? Let's let's set let's set that the the credentials up front. So because I think um, with the audience listening to you saying that's crazy talk. Of course there are people that hate America and want to to kill Americans, right? So why are you uh, able to state that as a fact? You don't have to take my word for it. Go to the State Department website. As I mentioned, there's a report. It's compiled annually. It's supposed to come out. I forget exactly when it's supposed to come out. It's usually about six months late. I think it's supposed to come out in the fall, and it usually comes out in the spring. Country reports by terrorism. If you Google that on the State Department website, you'll find the same uh, facts I did. Take a look at it and use my method, and you'll come up with your own figures. Uh, The report will contain disclaimers such as, this terrorist group is only interested in hitting Arab countries on the peninsula, or this terrorist group is active mostly in Bolivia, or whatever. So you don't have to take my word for it. As far as where I have published, uh, you know, and again, I am taking a very anarchic, pro-individual freedom stance. That's not exactly accepted in the mainstream media. In fact, most editors seem to spend their time trying to keep me out of their publications. So the fact that I have been published at extremely pro-statist uh, newspapers such as the Washington Post, uh, the Denver Post, uh, you know, a slew of them, the New York Post, which is, you know, very dedicated to the mm-hmm. war on terror. The fact that they'll publish me tells you that my facts are indisputable. Uh, I don't make wild claims. I back everything up that I write. Uh, if you click on any of my articles that have made it onto the Internet, I will substantiate everything with hyperlinks. You can click and go to the source I'm citing. Excellent. Okay, so wonderful. So um, how many terrorists do you think there are in the U.S. that want to, you know, harm Americans in their travels? <laughs> I would say there's <laughs> Well, it depends, Teresa, on what our definition is going to be. Are we going to count the ones in elected office? Are we going to count the... <laughs> Ones with blue shirts and blue gloves at the airports, there are about 47,000 of the latter. As far as politicians who are trying to hurt the American people, my goodness, we have to add up all the congressmen, senators, uh, uh, local and elected officials, so I, I don't have that figure off the top of my head. How about the boogeymen, the, the ones that you know want to want to blow up airplanes? Yes. Isn't it interesting? They replaced the boogeymen that were trying to cram drugs down your child's throat. <laughs> now we else? have the, the boogeymen that are trying to blow us all sky high. Right. Well, why is the TSA so ineffective? Why are they making us more, um, setting us up for, for danger instead of keeping us safe? Well, 
I'm going to quibble with your phraseology for just a moment. No problem. They are not ineffective at all. They are incredibly effective because the point of the TSA was to intimidate and cow Americans. We can't have people out there protesting the senseless wars that the American empire is waging worldwide. It's much easier to fight those wars when Americans are cowed and silent. So we have the TSA going into airports and teaching Americans what their place in the empire is. Keep quiet. Do what you're told. Don't look up. Keep your head down so that you don't get noticed. Get your shoes off. Spread your arms and legs. Get in a very vulnerable position so that you understand I, the representative of the state, am your master. So that's the purpose of the TSA, and it has succeeded wildly. I never, ever, Teresa, thought I would see the day when American parents would stand by while a stranger molested their child, and yet that is precisely what has gone on with the TSA. It's pretty crazy. I travel quite a bit, and I always opt out of being scanned, and so I get molested, groped, whatever you want to call it, every time I um, I travel, and I travel at least a couple times a month, so it's, it's quite uh, a number of times. I'm typically the only person that ever opts out. And it's very effective what the TSA has done with the groping because that is precisely its point. Uh, not only does it give the, the screener a, a thrill if they're of certain persuasions or, you know, and I don't mean simply sexually, uh, there are a lot of bullies in uniform. That's typically the type of personality that is attracted to, quote, law enforcement, although TSA is not law enforcement, strictly speaking, but still. It is a a job that puts you in a position of power over helpless people. And there's a a specific type of of mentality that loves that kind of work. So this is a real thrill for the screeners to get to bully you. Some of them may get off on it sexually. Uh, But in addition to that, TSA has been very forthcoming, especially for such a deceptive agency. It's stated on a couple of different occasions that the point of molesting you is so that you no longer refuse to go through the scanner, the porno scanner, the the scanner, by the way, that is carcinogenic, okay? And TSA knows this. This is a very uh, um, indisputable fact that these scanners that TSA has been unleashing on passengers do cause cancer. There are two types of technology. One of them is backscatter x-ray. That is radiation causes cancer. TSA has been withdrawing those lately from airports, however, uh, so they can now say it's no longer uh, giving us cancer. It's replacing them, however, with another type of denuding technology called millimeter wave. Millimeter waves are a relatively new uh, technology, nobody really understands their effect. They are uh, in the radiation spectrum, but nobody really understands their effect on human flesh. It's very possible that what they do is unravel your DNA. So if you are of childbearing years, whether you're a man or a woman, I strongly urge you never, ever, ever to go near these machines. I would even go so far as to say you're endangering yourself being at an airport because these machines do leak, okay? That's something TSA doesn't want anyone to know. But uh, if you have an x-ray machine at a hospital, for instance, you have technicians coming in regularly to service it. TSA does not do that. 
TSA puts these machines out there, there's evidence that they leak dramatic amounts of radiation. So even if you are in an airport and you're not going through the machine, even when you opt out, you're standing near the machine, you are still being irradiated. Hmm, very scary. I, I opted out one time, and there was another gentleman who opted out with me, and he said he was a an MD radiologist and had a Ph.D. in radiology. And this was the um, the time of the backscatter machines. Um, at at um, the airport where I was traveling in, and he said to me he has researched this extensively. He has a Ph.D. in radiology. He said everything you just said. Yes. So I, I urge um, you out there to do your own research and verify what we are saying, and you may choose to opt out in the future and, and just – so you all know, it, it's very simple to do. You go to the airport, you stand in line, and when everybody's, you know, the cattle, as I call them, get ready to go into the machine, you just simply tell the TSA agent that you choose to opt out. And they will come back and they will say, oh, do you know this technology? doesn't hurt you. Do you know this? And what I do is simply smile and say, yes, I'm aware of everything you're saying. I choose to opt out because they don't want you to opt out. They want you to That's go right. through that machine. And, um, you're being trained. Yes. You, exactly, you're being trained. And so, um, you know, they always give me some kind of little face, and I'm very nice and very smiley. I don't want any trouble. Just get me through. And um, then they, you know, proceed to molest and grope me, and I just continue on because <laughs> I choose not to uh, expose my body to the radiation. Uh, my husband who also travels a lot, he's not as sweet as I am, and he will always have, a, you know, a comment that, you know, yes, that's what they told, you know, our poor boys in Vietnam that Agent Orange wasn't going to hurt them. And uh, they're, they're not as nice back to him either. But um, but I, I urge you to go out and do, do the research and, and verify what we're saying here. It is an issue. Yes, it is. And I um, I admire your nerves, Teresa, in flying and, and putting up with that molestation every time. Uh, I have a lot of readers who write me their lives are devastated because let's not make any mistake about this. This is sexual assault. What the TSA does on a routine basis to millions of passengers, if a, a person on the street did to you, he'd be in jail as a rapist. So TSA is gate-raping millions of people every day, and I receive the most heart-rending letters from readers about how their lives have been destroyed. They can no longer sleep. They're suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome. They're suffering uh, depression. I've had letters from people dealing with depression for months because what TSA specializes in is the same power game that a rapist does on the street. Now, there's an added twist when you submit to the TSA in that it is almost always, quote, voluntary, okay? I don't mean that you have uh, opted out. That's the TSA's false choice, okay? It's a false dichotomy. Either we sexually assault you or we give you cancer. No, there's a third option, don't fly. And, again, that isn't an option for everybody. Some people, their jobs depend on it, and I, I certainly never, ever want to blame the victims of the TSA. But that kicks in when people are dealing with the after effects of sexual assault, they say, I didn't have to go to see my mother. Why did I get on that plane? I cooperated. I let them assault me. And that results in an even more prolonged depression. Well, 
I can tell you it has not affected me. I don't feel traumatized. Um, perhaps it's it's my um, my my state of mind when I'm going through this. Yes. Tell me and that, why someone great. would be and traumatized by by that experience. I want to understand that. Some he everybody's different. Uh, for instance, I went through the last time I flew was in 2001. TSA was in the planning stages, but it wasn't yet at the airport. However, the airlines were filling in for it. And I was pulled aside with half the people on my flight. I was subjected to a wanding. I was absolutely humiliated because they took that wand and they went over every part of my body in full view of everyone. I had to request a woman. They, they wanted a man to fill me up with his wand, and I said, absolutely not. And I threatened them with all kinds of lawsuits. They finally got one, but still, it was incredibly humiliating to me. Mm-hmm. Now, you're different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different. Some mm-hmm. people just absolutely fall apart if a stranger touches their elbow. Other people, clearly, not to get too graphic or anything, but clearly we have a number of men who don't care who go to prostitutes, and we clearly have a number of women who don't care and become prostitutes. Mm-hmm. So everybody's parameters on being touched by a stranger are different, mm-hmm. okay? What destroys one person may not harm another person. One of the other things we have playing in here is anyone who's ever suffered a sexual assault in past times, whether as a child they were sexually molested, whether they've been a victim of unofficial rape out on the street, those people are extremely vulnerable. And I have had letters and emails from them as well talking about how they want to die, talking about how the, the TSA's assault on them brought back all those past memories. Now, again, I don't mean to imply that every person who goes through the TSA's growth fest is going to react this way, but a number of people do. And if you have any doubts about your mental capacity to put up with what is sexual assault, I strongly urge you don't go to the airports because you will deal with it months and months later. Well, for the record, I don't enjoy the uh, the, <laughs> the groping or the sexual assault. Um, I, I think it's just a frame, uh, a mindset for me. I have yes. a job to do and I have um, dreams and the TSA and the government is just not going to hold me back from my living out my life. And so it's just, for me, something I have to go through to get to the other side, right, to get to the end. That's that's terrific, Teresa. And I have to tell you, you're not by any means alone in that. I, I get a number of emails from people laughing about it. Uh, there there was a whole movement for a while, you know, ask the TSA screener if you get a smoke now. And, and uh, yeah. I've had guys write to me and say, you know what I do? I go, um, oh, there's a term they use. They, uh, they wear a kilt. Basically, the idea is they dress in Scottish uniform, you know, a kilt, mm-hmm. and they wear nothing under it. And then they tell the TSA, they challenge the TSA, come on, come on, broke me. So there's a whole uh, cadre of people out there that think it's very funny and are able to laugh about it. And it's great if you're a member of those folks, if if you're like that. I personally am not. I'm much more in the category of don't touch me, don't look at me, leave me alone. Uh, You know, it just destroys me to be singled out in public and made a mockery of. But there are a great many people much braver than I, and you sound like one of them, that, that don't mind something like that. It's just like, you know what, this is unconstitutional, you have no right to do it. And in many ways, Teresa, you're probably a more effective warrior against this sort of, of uh, assault than somebody like me that just shrinks and, and you know, folds up and cries. Well, I look them straight in the eyes as they're groping me, and I do not intimidate easy, and I'm pleasant 
Um, and I've had a couple instances where I thought I was going to jail. Um, I was polite, but they were they were testing me, and I won't play their game. Um, I will play it on my terms, let's say. Um, and no, I'd rather that some woman not touch me or grope me. That would be my preference. But I've got to fly somewhere, and they are not going to stop me from getting to my destination. Now, you were talking about flying. Um, the TSA wants to get into every part of our lives, right? They want to get into the sports arena. They want to get into, you know, Amtrak, train stations, subways. So if one is thinking that they don't have to be groped um, by not traveling, what's the other side? What's coming down the road with the TSA? Well, this would go back to what we were saying before about the TSA is extremely effective in its actual mission, of uh, intimidating and bullying Americans and training them for a police state. Uh, TSA has been trying to expand virtually since the day it was founded. This is not anything new. Uh, Usually its only problem is logistical. Um, It just doesn't have the manpower it wants to be at every bus station, every Amtrak station, every subway stop. TSA has been on ferries. TSA uh, searches people as they get on board cruise ships. Okay, so it is branching out into every aspect of transportation in America, and it justifies this by pointing to its charter, which does indeed say it is supposed to protect transportation, not airlines, okay? Uh, But in political response after 9-11 with the uh, dramatic attacks on the planes, of course, it made a lot of sense from a politician's point of view to address that with the TSA. So that's why it has concentrated on airlines, but it is most definitely always seeking to expand beyond them. We've even had uh, TSA out on the highways Mm -hmm. searching trucks. Mm -hmm. That surely is a harbinger of what's to come. It is not going to be content with searching only trucks. They are going to be pulling drivers over, too. So they're just ramping up more and more. Uh, There's a a part of TSA called VIPER, and it stands for Visible Intermodal Protection Team or something. I figure they've got some silly acronym for it. But it basically consists of uh, TSA... Uh, SWAT teams, dogs, uh, local cops will get involved, different agencies will come. They all launch these viper raids different places. And the purpose, TSA is actually very bored about this, the purpose is to scare us. <laughs> they will actually say that. It's to uh, scare anyone who might think about, uh, you know, confronting the government. It's to scare the, uh, they, they actually seldom use the word terrorist with the Viper team concept. It's, uh, I, I forget their terminology right now, but the, the idea is they'll go out and they'll just scare ordinary Americans and show them how they're able to get these teams all together to crush any dissent. You know, I sometimes chuckle when um, when people say, you know, well, America, you know, it's got its problems, but it's the best country in the world to live, and we're the land of the brave and home of the free. Um, and then I think back at, all right, how many other countries um, today is there a TSA that actually gropes its citizens? <laughs> no. I've actually pointed that out a number of times in my writing. Uh, I I like to say that uh, there has never been a regime anywhere, no matter how brutal or totalitarian, that has even dreamed of sexually assaulting citizens as they go about their daily business. And yet that is precisely what TSA does. And I have to say one of the, um, the illusions that Americans harbor is that 
we're under a constitution. Mm -hmm. But we all need to realize what happened was about 100, 125 years ago, progressives brought in the administrative regime. regime, And what that refers to is the agencies, okay? Uh, They did it specifically and with great honesty telling us we're doing this to get rid of the Constitution. The progressive idea is that the Constitution does not work. It doesn't allow government to do things. So therefore, the progressives instituted administrative law. Uh, These are the agencies, the bureaucracies, and they they very uh, honestly confessed since the Constitution doesn't let government do things and since we need things done, we're going to put through the administrative regime. And over the years, over the decades since then, courts have unfailingly sided with this philosophy. That's why now, despite the Fourth Amendment's very clear language that uh, government may not engage in unreasonable search and seizure, and certainly I think everyone, even the biggest statists, would agree that sexually assaulting people while searching them on you know, a mass basis is totally unreasonable. But that's why the Fourth Amendment, with its requirement of a warrant before any kind of search and particularized suspicion, in other words, I can't say, I think that somebody out there in two million passengers every day might be a terrorist, I'm going to search all two million, you have to say, I have specific information that you, Teresa, are trying to smuggle a bomb on this airline, and I, airliner, and now I'm going to pull you aside and search you. That's why that doesn't have any relevance whatsoever to the TSA. Congress, under administrative law, may, quote, delegate authority over something that the Constitution never gives it power over, such as aviation, to agencies. And once a delegation of power has been made to an agency, that agency basically is free to do anything it wants to do so long as it claims that that's helping it further its mission as chartered by Congress. Okay, and as I say, courts back this all the time, you will frequently find the TSA saying, what we do are administrative searches, and therefore, since we are looking to help you. We're looking to protect you. We're not looking to put you in jail. Yes, some people at the end of a TSA search do wind up in jail, but that's not the point, you see. The point is to protect your life. So therefore, our searches are not under Fourth Amendment protection. They're administrative searches, and that makes all the difference. And I kid you not, grown adults in black robes, gussied up to be judges, fall for this every single time. I know, Becky. It's crazy. I, you know, 17 years ago, I discovered that what I had been taught in business school and what I was taught in law school about how our country works, how our money works, how our legal system works was a big, fat lie. We're all under the illusion that we live under this constitution that protects us in the United States. And and you, you said it. There's no other country in the world, no other regime in the world that even dreamed of sexually groping its citizens. And we do it every single day under what we believe an illusion of a constitution that protects us. No, because the administrative system in this country that was set up 115, 25 years ago allows our government to do this. It's My crazy. My opinion, Teresa, is that 
you know, you hear people talking about, well, we need to vote all the politicians out. We just get new politicians in there, or we need to tweak the Constitution this way, or we need to pass this amendment or term limits or whatever they propose. It always has to do with politicians and, you know, how they're governing. They are a very tiny part of the problem. The huge obstacle we face to living free now is the administrative regime. These agencies, unlike politicians, agency personnel last for decades. They learn how to get as corrupt as they can possibly be. Uh, they are interested in protecting their fiefdoms. They could care less about the people whose lives are, uh, you know, drastically curtailed by their decisions. Uh, it, we could annihilate every politician in Washington, D.C. tomorrow, and we would still be almost as enslaved as we currently are. It is the bureaucratic regime, the agencies like the EPA, the FAA, the TSA, the FBI, the CIA, all of these, these agencies are the real death knell of American liberty. Becky, this is such an interesting and controversial topic. After the break, uh, let's discuss more about the solutions, how we can take back our country and maybe get rid of the TSA and all the uh, intrusive groping that's going on. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. We are speaking today with Becky Akers on the TSA. And uh, Becky, tell us, you know, we were just talking about the constitutionality of, of the TSA and these administrative agencies, and really it has nothing to do with the Constitution. So the solution is not bring, you're, you're suggesting, is not um, talking about the Constitution. It's not talking, you know, getting rid of the politicians because these administrative agencies um, basically have authority to do whatever they want. So what is the solution? <laughs> well, Teresa, I wish I had a good answer. Uh, I personally believe, and, and um, I hope you'll forgive me if this is too incendiary, I personally believe the only thing that is going to get these people away from us, leaving us alone, is an outright revolution such as we had the first time around in 1776. Uh, there is too much money, too much power at stake. These bureaucrats will not leave us alone willingly. Uh, the courts are in their corner, so we can't expect judicial relief. I was just, in fact, corresponding with a gentleman this morning who is trying to fight the TSA. Uh, he and his group have allied with a number of other plaintiffs, trying to fight the TSA in the courts, and they are relying on the Fourth Amendment. And I've told them, you're not going to get anywhere because cases like this have been brought already and the courts consistently overturn them and side with the TSA and say, no, this is an administrative search. It's not a criminal search. So therefore, the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply. So you can't expect relief from the courts. You can't expect bureaucrats to say, oh, gosh, guess what? We're, we're really sorry we traumatized you and we've even killed a couple of people. By the way, TSA has uh, killed one man and I consider it morally responsible for the death of another passenger, although she wasn't strictly speaking in her custody when she died. Uh, but still, 
sorry, you know, it's all been a big mistake. We're going to go away now. No, they're never going to do that. These people thrive on power. The only thing that bureaucrats and politicians alike understand is force. It's the language they speak in every day of the week. It's the only thing they understand. They force us to do things. The only way we can respond is by forcing them to leave us alone. But government and administrative agencies never get smaller. Once they have power, they don't go away without, like you said, some kind of revolution. And, you know, a couple years ago, I think you saying that would have been really out there. Today, I think more and more people are thinking that we need some major change, especially now that the government's talking about taking away our right to bear arms, right, and our right to guns. Uh, more and more people are waking up that, oh, my gosh, this is really hitting me home, right? This is getting yes, too close I, to comfort. So I don't think I, the revolution I, idea is that out there. I hope it's not. Um, uh, we have an awful lot to learn from the American Revolution. Uh, one thing I would strongly recommend to folks thinking about this is to remember that when we rise in rebellion, and we have every justification we can possibly have under uh, the philosophy of natural law, under the Declaration of Independence, uh, the government has met every test there is for tyranny. We have every right to rebel against these people and to defend ourselves, our families, our lives, and our homes. One thing I would urge everyone to remember is that that's all we're doing. We're not fighting for equal access to health care, and we're not fighting for free housing, and we're not fighting for social equality. We are fighting to be free. We start dragging a bunch of other stuff in, and then the unity that we'll feel will go right out the window. So we need to understand our enemy is the government. Our enemy are politicians and bureaucrats. These people need to be expelled from our lives. We are not fighting each other. That was a big problem during the American Revolution, a lot of uh, infighting among the patriots, um, a lot of different factions of patriots trying to grab power. That's not what we want. We want to live free of bureaucrats and politicians, and that's all. So what does that mean to live free? Because I think people have different definitions of freedom, and they think that if the TSA, in this example, um, keeps them safe, that that gives them, uh, you know, freedom, right? Freedom to travel, TSA is keeping me safe. So what is your definition of freedom? Well, that uh, definition you just gave is the Franklin Delano Roosevelt definition, that we have the four freedoms. We have the freedom to be, the right to be free of fear. That's not at all what we're talking about. When I say, and when the founders would have talked about freedom, <clears throat> excuse me, what they meant was free of coercion, free of political force, okay? I may think, Teresa, that it is in your best interest not to smoke, but I have absolutely no right to compel you not to smoke unless you're on my property. I may think that it is in the best interest of children to be educated, but I have absolutely no right to compel them to attend my school or any school. I have no right to steal money from another person to support my scheme to educate all children. As soon as I start stealing, I am a thief. Even if I wear a little badge because I'm from the IRS and I'm here to help and take all your money, I am a thief. I have no right to take money from you or anybody else so that other people can eat. Once I steal your money to feed somebody else while taking a huge part of that money for myself, I have become a socialist and a collectivist, and that is not at all what this country is ever founded for. So basically, 
all we mean when we say we want to live free is we are living free of political coercion. No other human being on the face of the earth has the right or should have the power to compel me to act, think, speak, or believe in the way he prefers. Now, that doesn't mean we're free to go out and kill each other. There are certain natural laws, but they are extremely few in number. One of them is you, you can't initiate force against anybody else. If you do, then I'm allowed to respond to you with force, and that's the situation we find ourselves in right now with politicians and bureaucrats. Likewise, we don't steal from each other. Again, that's initiating force. I hold a gun on you, and I take your money from you by force, whether I'm with the IRS or whether I'm a mother in an alleyway. So, again... Once you, you take that step and you initiate force against another human being, that person has the right to respond to you with force. So when I say live free, that's what I'm talking about. Some would argue that there should be some kind of social contract, right, that it is, I, should, I have to give something up to participate in our society. And yes. So what would you say to, to someone who thinks that way? Well, that was simply one philosopher's idea. I don't know that he or any of his followers have ever presented evidence for that. But uh, I'll ask you, if you move into a house and the person moving out says, oh, by the way, when you buy this house, you've just entered into a contract, and part of that contract is you must go out and kill one of the neighbors down the block every week. I want another neighbor killed. When I come back here in 10 years, I don't expect to find anyone alive. Do you agree to that? Absolutely not. That's insane. Why is a social contract any more valid than something like that? It, basically, the social contract is, is just a catch-all and an excuse for tyranny. Social contract says because a group of people many years ago decided that they wanted to rule over everybody else, the fact that you happen to be born in that geographic area centuries later means you have to go ahead and say, okay, you can rule over me. Okay, I'll give you my money. This is nonsense. There's just not a shred of philosophical evidence that could possibly support that viewpoint. Uh, you know, if you tend to believe and want to believe and choose to believe in a social contract, you go right ahead, but your rights end when it comes to forcing me to abide by that same social contract. Hmm. So speaking of revolutions, uh, you recently uh, wrote a book on Nathan Hale, uh, who was um, historically an American hero. Right, a soldier for the Continental right. Army, uh, and uh, in the American Revolutionary War, and was a spy until the British caught up with him. Um, so I take it this this whole subject is near and dear to your heart because you wrote a novel uh, about his life. Yes, I I've loved Nathan Hale ever since I can remember, um, and let me say that uh, his he's best known for his final words before he was hanged. I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country which sounds pretty statist. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to go around living and dying for a nation. Um, turns out he didn't say that. Uh, those are words that were attributed to him 50 years after his death. Mm. But it was that idea that he stood up against the British Empire, that he defied the British Empire, that at the gallows he spoke truth to power, that has always 
uh, enraptured me with him. So he's got a very thrilling and dramatic story. Uh, I invented some of it uh, because he's the ideal hero for a novelist. We know enough about him to give me the outlines of an incredibly dramatic and, and exciting story. But there's enough missing that you can make up some. And if I needed him to be at a certain place at a certain time, I didn't have to worry that I was violating history by, by having him there. So uh, the book is, is getting a lot of good reviews. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can either get it uh, uh, paperback or for your Kindle. You'll need to enter my last name, A-K-E-R-S as in Sam, and the uh, title Hailstorm, and it's as Nathan spelled his word, H-A-L-E, Storm. Um, and that is, by the way, one of his own puns. He was just quite a punster. Um, but enter that in your search engine because I didn't realize until after I already published it, Teresa, I'm not a, a rock music fan, but there's apparently a grunge group or something called Hailstorm, spelled exactly as I spell my nice. novel. So if you just enter Hailstorm, you're going to come up with their records instead of my book. So you're not a, a grunge-ster? No. <laughs> I take it. Uh, so what are some of the um, interesting... Uh, so-called facts that we learn in school that uh, about Nathan Hale that isn't true. Well, as I said, he didn't uh, never mentioned his um, uh, best-known line. Actually, what happened was that he did say that he regretted having only one life to give for his cause, and uh, we we know that because that particular quote was written down a few years after he hanged. He became quite a hero through his execution, um, and a lot of stories were told about him. There was an article published about his death in the Boston Chronicle six years afterwards, and it quotes his line there about uh, one, wishing that he had more lives to give for his cause. So of course, the cause was the cause of liberty. It wasn't until 50 years later that that got changed to for my country. And that was at a time when the American Union was trying to consolidate. There were a lot of collectivists that wanted a strong nation, and so Nathan Hale was twisted into somebody who would support that. Uh, but that's not at all what happened. Uh, he was just 21 years old when he hanged. I always think of his uh, uh, 20th century descendant, the, the guy in Tiananmen Square, holding up his hand to stop the tank the government's power coming against the people. That's how I see Nathan Hale standing there alone at the gallows. He was uh, um, by himself. He'd been captured spying. Spying in the 18th century was extremely dishonorable. It was uh, basically held in about the same repute that we hold pedophiles today. Like, like we look at a TSA guy, and uh, the hatred we feel for them is how people felt about spies in the 18th century because it was very dishonorable. You went around and you lied to people and you got them to trust you and then you betrayed them. So when he was captured and was going to be hanged, which was the most disgraceful death you could suffer in the 18th century, uh, he stood there alone in the midst of a hostile army. You can imagine, say, that you were with the militia unit today and the U.S. Army captured you what those soldiers would think of you as you stood there by yourself in their midst, waiting to die. And Nathan Hale stood there, though, and he preached them a sermon. He'd been educated at Yale as a preacher boy. So he preached a sermon uh, to the Redcoats, who were basically, they had a reputation as being very uh, impious in the colonies, and even and barbarians. 
so he preached a sermon to them and told them, you know, we have to be ready to meet death in any form in which it may appear, and calling them to repentance. And then before they swung him off, he mentioned about how he hated to have just one life to give for the cause of freedom. So he had absolutely no idea that those words would ever make it past that handful of very hostile soldiers watching him die. And yet he stayed true to liberty. He stood there defending righteousness and freedom. And again, could never have dreamed that 200 years later people would still be talking about him. So he's a real encouragement when you get discouraged trying to talk to people about freedom and they don't want to listen to you and they turn aside. Remember Nathan Hale had, could have had no idea that his example would one day be taught in textbooks. And there he is, shining for freedom. You know, Becky, there has been a lot of blood that's been shed for the cause of freedom and liberty. And um, it, it really, you know, makes me sad to think um, where we are today. You know, just in 20 years, 20 years since I've been awake, what I've seen in 20 years is, is crazy. Um, yes. How far I, we've come. I, I, Teresa, I often cry myself to sleep when I think of what the guys endured at Valley Forge at Morristown the men that lost their lives at Saratoga, trying to wrest this country away from an empire. And the British Empire was never, even at its height, not nearly as abusive and intimidating as the American Empire. And yet these people were willing to lay down their lives because they were tired of being part of an empire. They did not want to fight worldwide wars. They, they utterly rejected what mercantilism was doing. They rejected the idea that the British Empire's East India Company had the right to go in and exploit the continent of India, just as we reject the idea that American oil companies and corporations have the right to go over to Afghanistan and bomb villagers because they want to build a pipeline through their country. Okay, it was the exact same reasons that Americans rebelled in the 1770s. And we are approaching that point where we're going to have to follow their example or die in slave and concentration camps. So um, shall we close with some encouraging words? Is there hope? Is there hope for us? Uh, One of the things that we can always look back to the American Revolution and take great comfort from is that people then were just as fearful, just as overwhelmed, just as intimidated by muskets as we are by tanks and drones, They, too, were standing up against the most powerful army in the world, and yet they took heart. Uh, They were very faithful people. They devoutly believed in the Christian God. They prayed daily for triumph against such evil as the British Empire. Uh, We can take that same comfort that although the forces arrayed against freedom today seem overwhelming to us, it's always that way for anybody who stands up against the state's power. So... Uh, Liberty triumphs then against enormous odds. We also look at enormous odds, but we can take comfort in the fact that right does prevail. And when you get right down to it, there are only about 5 million people who are employed by the state at every level, whether it's the Army and Navy, whether it's local bureaucrats, whether it's the politicians in D.C., only about 5 million Americans out of, what, 320 million now? I don't know what the population is, is up to, but only about 5 million out of that 320, 325, whatever it is, that, that 
will side with the government. Now, that doesn't mean that the people working at corporations, you know, Halliburton's employees, probably are going to figure, okay, their bread is buttered by the state, so they've got to rally with the state. But still, there are far more of us than there are of them. And we are armed. That's another beautiful fact in the fight for freedom. Anytime a people have been armed, the state has not been able to take them over. The state always goes in and disarms the populace first when it wants to murder them outright, when it wants to commit genocide, when it wants to round people up and put them in camps. It has always gone to disarm them first. So we are now witnessing those attempts at the federal and state levels here. We should be glad for that. It's warning us that the end is about here for the American empire. We need to stand up, defy them, realize that we are on the side of right, that the angels fight with us, and that we will triumph in the end. Becky, thank you so much for the work that you do um, for, for liberty and for freedom. Um, your book, Hailstorm, H-A-L-E-S-T-O-R-M, on Amazon, and um, your last name is spelled Akers, and we will have a, it was spelled uh, A-K-E-R-S, as in Sam, right? And we will put a link on our website, Living Wealthy Radio, so uh, you can go direct to the website and get that link over to to Amazon for your book. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. It is so important that we question conventional wisdom. Uh, We find so many stories um, out there that have been watered down or altered to serve um, an agenda, Right, And I think, um, Becky, it's fantastic that um, you've been able to be published in mainstream media, right, exposing um, the truth about um, of history and uh, exposing government inefficiencies, especially the TSA. In my practice, I try to expose the truth behind conventional financial wisdom and how money really works. So thank you for your fight, and again, thank you for joining us today. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. You can check us out at livingwealthyradio.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The info being presented does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation and does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax advisor or legal counsel or other professional, and you should not use the information in place of a personal consultation regarding your specific situation or needs prior to taking any action based on this information. We believe the info provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. If you're a business owner who wants to sell your successful company, then you need to pay careful attention to what I'm about to tell you. Selling a business in today's crazy-making economy is not for the faint of heart. A successful sale requires courage, resolve, and a big pair of... um, free selling tools. Get your free risk analysis tool and special report today from the only company that can help you sell your business in 49 days or less and pay zero taxes. Go to www.deltabusinessservices.com forward slash exit coach to download yours today. That's www.deltabusinessservices.com or call us at 210- 
Tell them the guy with the sexy voice sent you. Hey, everybody. This is Tammy DeLue here with Living Wealthy Financial Group. And today we have one of our really special clients. All of our clients are special, but this lady is particularly so because she's a local businesswoman in the Austin area. She is the owner and the founder of Get the Picture Inc., which is a, an event photography, the, the best event photography place in the whole state, right, Kate? Is that correct? <laughs> that's that's fabulous of you to say she's so. Thank best, you. <laughs> she's the best little photographer in Texas, right? And she is a client and has been a client of Teresa Kuhn and Living Wealthy Financial Group for quite some time now. And I, I wanted to have her here because I wanted her to share with with all of you her experience with Bank on Yourself and what she, how she came to find out about it, how she came to believe in it, and what she's been using this concept for in her own professional and personal life. So welcome, Kate, and thanks for being here. And so, you know, tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. We know you are a photographer, but you do so many, so many other things as well. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tammy. Yeah, I'm... Um, my photography business is a little unusual. We do something that's a little different, and we actually go out to events and set up uh, full on-site studios, and we deliver portraits on the spot. So people get in our line and take their picture, and then they get to see them, pick their favorites, and then they walk out with them that oh, night. Oh, that's so, really cool. That's instant <laughs> gratification kind of thing. It people is. Like it's that. a lot of fun, so I really love doing what I do. And so how long have you been doing that? Let's see. Get the picture is 13 years old. So I've been doing that company. And then, of course, I worked for other companies in photography before that. But as far as mine, we've been around for about 13 years. So you are located in Austin, but you go all over the state, correct? You go anywhere. Anybody will. You're a hired gun. We are. (laughs) (laughs) So you also operate this with your husband as well, correct? That is true. Yes, both, both Charles and I are certified professional photographers which is really nice because oftentimes we'll have more than one event at a time and one of us can go to one and the other one can go to the other one. Perfect. So how did you come across now Bank on Yourself? As I mean, were you attracted to it as a businesswoman or how did you were you introduced to the concept? Well, you know, I heard, um, I kept hearing actually um, radio spots on uh, public radio and um, I would, I guess they aired at the same time every day <laughs> because I kept hearing them like when I was taking my kids to school. And after hearing it about six or seven times, I finally was like, well, I better check this thing out because it talked about being able to um, sort of create a bank for yourself and then using that bank to loan yourself money so that you are collecting the interest and not somebody else. So it made perfect sense to me. And um and so I finally one day I called, and I was um, very excited to be hooked up with Teresa because she has just been absolutely fabulous. And they, they, so the, the 800 number that you called put you in contact with someone in your local area who was Teresa, who uh, is like really is one of the premier Bank on Yourself advisors. So you were able to meet with her. And so describe, you know, how did she explain this to you, and how were you able to you know, uh, what did she do to make it a little more easy for you to grasp how this was going to work? Well, I got to tell you, I really, uh, she, I felt like I was driving her crazy because I really wanted to understand it. And so, and I didn't write it first because it's an unusual concept. 
and it's not something that we're ta- that's taught or that people really talk about. And so I really had to um, explore and get deep into it and ask her a lot of questions, and she was so great. She was very patient with me, <laughs> and she explained every little thing that I asked her. And she went into as much detail as I wanted until I felt like I was really confident that this was the right this was the right vehicle for me. Well, yeah, and she and she really loves to do that because she knows her stuff. And so it was good that you were able to ask questions. I think actually Teresa enjoys clients who really question things and really ask themselves, "Is this going to be right for me? Is yeah. this going to make sense for me and my business and my family?" And so she was able to explain everything to your satisfaction, and then. <clears throat> I guess you you got started how many years ago was that? Gosh, maybe five years? Five years. So she, all along the way, you know, you guys checked in with each other and you kind of became very, um, you know, through the process, I guess you became friends, you know. Uh, You know, it's, uh, you do want to be on that kind of, you know, wavelength with someone that's helping you handle your money. So she was able to guide you when you were, for example, what's the first thing you did when when you got your bank on yourself? I mean, as far as when you started to accumulate, what were you looking to do with that? Well, my business uses a lot of equipment. <laughs> and, <laughs> I can imagine. Computers and, and all kinds you know, of stuff. The average photographer uses a good amount of equipment already, but when you take the fact that we have to carry all this stuff on site, lots of um, cases and printers and cameras and lighting and just tons and tons of stuff. And so what I first used it for and what I've been using it for Pretty much each time that I've taken out a loan, it's been for equipment for my business. And so I can loan my business money, and then my business pays the policy back with interest. And so that interest, instead of it going into you know, Bank of America's pocket, it goes into mine. So it's a really great like way that. to build wealth. <laughs> you like that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> you have more control. So you like the, actually having the control of your money is a really important factor in why you did this as well, right? Because you control the process. Absolutely. You know that's important because when you know in a typical loan, you'd have to go into the bank and beg, you know, your hat in your hand and and get out on your you know on your knees and plead to be accepted. With this, you you set the terms, and I yeah. think that's really crucial for people to understand. This is you are the banker. You set the repayment terms. You set, I mean, if something happened, you know, and you couldn't, like, say you lost, I mean, I'm sure it's happened where they, you've had cancellations where you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, and if you had to pay it back uh, to a traditional bank and you couldn't, you'd run your credit. But this oh, way you don't. yeah, and that's, it's fabulous. You know, you can, you can stop repaying a loan at any point when you need, you know, you need a break. You need some time to get cash flow going or whatever. And it's perfect for that because I don't have to worry. There's no creditors breathing down my neck because it's my money. <laughs> and that's at well, and as well it should be. Now, when you look at your statement every month, I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, are you seeing like results that you didn't expect, or is this what Teresa told you, or is this beyond what you've expected? I trust Teresa ex- implicitly. She is, she knows her stuff, and I completely trust her judgment. And of course, we got the thing at the beginning where it shows the projections and all that. But, of course, as soon as you start taking loans, and I've done lots of loaning, then the the policy grows like crazy, and so then it doesn't look anything like what you looked at before anyway. So I just trust the process, and um, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. 
Really? And what, uh, you know, you are expanding. I, you had told, we had talked before, you told me you were expanding your business. Uh, maybe, you know, at some point, maybe even franchising. How is this going to help you expand your business and grow it? Well, this is ideal for growing the business because you've always got access to funds that you can use at any time, and then you just pay those back. And it's, I don't know, I think it's just, it's the coolest thing. <laughs> it's the coolest thing to have your own financing. Um, and I just love it. It's it's a great way to go. So would you recommend this to other small business owners and, and in your area especially? Oh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and Teresa, and working with Teresa, and Teresa works in many different states, not just Texas, I wanted to add that, but, I mean, is she the kind of person that you think should be, people should be working with? Well, you know what? I haven't met anyone else that, that does this, but it wouldn't really matter because I can't imagine working with anybody but Teresa. She is absolutely.